30 seconds, reality as you know it will cease to exist. In its place, you will find a new dimension, identical to the one you left behind, only slightly better. Take a deep breath and open your mind to the magic within you. This is no ordinary podcast. This podcast is with Richard When I lived in New York, I walked past an under-construction building on my way to work each day. There was a wall of green plywood, the ubiquitous scaffolding, and various construction noises. But other than that, I never really took much notice. It was more or less just another landmark on my daily stroll into the office. But one day, I walked past and was shocked to find that the scaffolding was gone, the green wall removed, and a newly built storefront now stood in its place. At that moment, I realized the different timescales we live by. The years I'd spent walking by that construction site, unconsciously accepting it as a stable element of my landscape, were actually a constantly moving process of growth and transformation. If I could have watched it as a time-lapse video, I'd have seen steel beams become encased in concrete, lights flick on, scaffolding growing like vines only to recede and reveal the newly built building. Now that more of my friends have kids, I experience these timescales through them. Two years go by in my life, and I still look more or less the same. I'm still pretty much the same person, give or take a few life changes. But if I don't see my friend that just had a baby for two years, that baby is now a tiny human with language and personality. And that's the thing about time. It's either going too fast or too slow, and both depend on your frame of reference. When we go through a rough patch, a single day can feel like a million years, and it seems like we'll never get clear of all these difficulties, frustrations, and unknowns cluttering our path. But several years down the line, we look back and go, oh yeah, that was a tough summer. Even this current pandemic will eventually just be an era we moved through, same as how we can summarize nearly a decade of American existence as the Bush years. One of the best things about talking to your elders is that they can share this perspective. With much of the story of their life already laid out and legible, they can help us see how our own period of uncertainty or turmoil is just a brief moment in a long life that will have numerous periods, each opening up into new chapters of growth, connection, change, and development. My grandfather is, and was, an architect. He spent his career designing buildings and navigating the processes required to go from an empty lot to a tower of glass and steel. While those buildings leapt from his drafting table to the Michigan skyline, his own life moved along at a more human pace. The two timescales, human and architectural, intertwined to create a complex monument to one man's existence. While his children grew up and beget their own children, some of whom became wizards and created popular podcasts. His buildings weathered seasons and economic uncertainty, changing tenants and continued urban development. To appreciate all of this, I think it's crucial to remember that everything is an ongoing process. A building grew out of a pen, and one day, our own life will end. But along the way, 
We get to create and take up space and make the most out of the time we have. And to savor that rich experience, we can take a little time now to talk to my grandfather about how to be patient. Hi, Grandpa. Hi. Welcome to my ritual. Well, it's nice to be here with you. It's so great to have you. Yes. What's our magic word going to be? Patience. Patience. Okay. One, two, three. Patience. Patience. All right. Well, I've been waiting all week to do this, so I, I feel like I get the patient vibe. What made you think of patience? Well, uh, one of my sons by the name of Mark suggested that I was a very patient father to to stand around and watch and get people all together to get things done. So I happened to think about the fact that I don't try to rush things. And so it, it, it sort of fit that in my type of thing, it, have the patience to talk to people, mm-hmm. have the patience to get things done, mm-hmm. and don't, don't try to rush things that are not necessarily, that needs to be moved faster. One of our friends in Louisville was telling us a story recently about he was trying to get to this lake for his birthday and have this uh, this whole little birthday celebration, and he was getting really stressed about it. Mm-hmm. And one of his friends, who's a little bit older, said, man, can't be in a hurry to have a good time. <laughs> and I like that idea of patience. You're sort of letting the blocks fall into place on their own and just, right. yeah. Yeah, yes. You know, the whoever you talk with or to or about, you, you, you don't need to be jamming everything in all in one place. So mm-hmm. p- patience, work it out with everything else. And it usually makes things come out better at the end. So why, why sweat the small stuff? Yeah. Is there something in particular in your life that you felt like you were patient about that worked out very well? Other than children? Other than children. <laughs> 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 Children could be the answer, my, yeah. My, my wife, yeah. <laughs> uh, no, I think you know, in in the business I was in, you dealt with a lot of people from various backgrounds that were not related to your background or what you were trying to do for them, mm. and so how to get the the them to be able to have I had to have patience with them in order to make sure that I understood directly with what they would like out of a a project that they were investing a lot of money in to construct yeah so I'm excited now we can make our listeners experience a little patience because we'll we'll get back around to what you did as your profession but um I'd love to start at the beginning where and when were you born uh, where I was born in Michigan. Mm-hmm. I was born on a farm, and I grew up on a farm. And uh, when was this? In 1929, I was okay. born, right? And uh, I went to a one-room country school for seven years, mm-hmm. and uh, so that was the basic education. The greatest education I got was at country school. What was uh, what was the family farm like? Uh, we had a dairy farm. Okay. So we had cattle that we had to take care of. And uh, it was a small farm. It was only a 100-acre farm. Mm-hmm. But back then, a, per- a family could live on a 100-acre farm. And, of course, as things went on, that disintegrated because it didn't. Uh, the economics never worked out after 
a period of time in, in later years. You can't compete with a big dairy farm that's no, operating at that, scale. No, that are doing huge milking machines, systems and stuff. No. Yeah. So did you have to wake up at the crack of dawn and milk the cows? Well, I didn't particularly because I has, was the last one in the family. I was the youngest. I had two older brothers and my father, and they did basically uh, the ones that got up and did the work, early morning work. Yeah. So what was, as the youngest, what were your responsibilities on the farm? Oh, I had to take care of the chickens and get yeah. the eggs and uh, things, take care of the, the, the little pigs and things like that. Yeah. And so, okay, so then you're in a one-room country schoolhouse. One. And what kind of education? I mean, you're a very <laughs> smart, learned person. And so I'm curious um, what the education was like that. Back then. Well, it's probably I better had, than modern public schools, to be honest. I, I had a remarkable teacher. Mm. She, when I started school, she had just graduated from college, and so she started as a you know a single teacher in a country school, but she was able to master the fact of how to deal with the different grade levels, the different grades and students within grade levels, and and. Things that they talk about today that they'd like to have in, in education programs. Right. right. And, that, and that's the way she worked. And so she gave us a great education. And was the, you were in that one room all the way up through high school? Seventh grade. Through seventh grade. Okay. Right. Yeah. Then I went to uh, the city, quote, the village school yeah. for, um, for the eighth grade and high school. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then what did you do after that? Did you know that you wanted to get off the farm and go see yeah, the, the world? Right. You know, I, I had worked on, on the, as I got older, I was, of course, more helpful to the farm. Mm-hmm. And uh, But I could see that it wasn't something that I felt that I wanted to do. I liked to do other things that really I had been exposed to by the country school. Mm-hmm. And so... Like I, what? Was was there something that kind of sparked your passion? Well, I need to get out and uh, travel or yeah. see things. I wanted to see things. That was one of the things. I wanted to see... Things that I would read about in books. Right. Yeah. That weren't just dairy cows. No. <laughs> dairy no, cows no, and no, snowbanks. Or, or pigs or anything else. Right. So um, how did you, what did you do? How did you decide to, what was your plan to get out of, out of the Well, I want, I get to get an education. Yeah. Right. So uh, to get, uh, when I graduated from high school, to go to college and yeah. get an education. That was, that was, I felt was the key to get out. Yeah. And so did you go to college first and then you did the military? Or, yes. Yeah. Yes. I went two years to uh, to college and then to circumstances and money, I had to stop. Yeah. And so I, at the the last courses I took uh, were in, in the architecture school, not mm-hmm. the engineering school, which I started in. And uh, that really piqued my interest. And so I went to, from from there to Detroit, and we only lived 30 miles from Detroit, to Detroit to see if I could get a job. Mm-hmm. So what talent did I have? But I went to, from, to different architectural offices, and unfortunately, a uh, old Scotchman who was running a firm, and he and his son, their, the, their office boy was going back to college, and he hired me. <laughs> $25 a week. Oh, wow. That's great. Right. <laughs> so that's how I got my start was he he took me in. Yeah. 
And so what was that experience? Like, what were you, what were you doing there? No, that was great. You learned, I learned how to do the drawing, drafting, and learned what, how to put a building together. I wasn't the, necessarily doing the design work because the older people were doing that in the firm. So, uh, but how to implement the design to get to production and get things so they could go to con- construction. So, so yeah. real hands-on experience. Oh, very hands-on experience. Yeah. yeah. And how long did you do that for? I did two years. Okay. And then then I got drafted into the army, which uh, for for the next two years. So I I was out of college four years yeah. before I went. I got discharged from the service, and then I went back to college. You got drafted into the military, and this was for the Korean War. During the Korean War. Now, I for, like this is this is me being ignorant of twentieth yeah. century American history, but I forget that we had a draft for the Korean War. Right. But it was it was much less controversial, or was it still uh, a controversy at the time? It wasn't. A, no, it wasn't a, as contra, a controversial like it came later in the sixties. No, yeah. No, it didn't. It didn't. But it you know it took other people like me who were partly in, from in college. A lot of the fellows that I was with in the service had like two years of college as well. So it mm-hmm. didn't. You got drafted. It, college wasn't an exemption in, in many cases. You know? Yeah. So it pulled you out. Mm-hmm. And then what what did you do while you were in the service? Uh, I went uh, through the military training, which was, uh, uh, you know, everybody gets basic training and advanced basic training. And then they sent me to a uh, school to uh, learn electronics to work on uh, radar. Okay. Mm-hmm. And where were you stationed? Did you did you go to Korea? No, I no. never went to Korea. No, the the, uh, but I, the, the, the tr- which is sort of not very smart about the army, but you know I had the training, the electronics training was eleven months. Yeah. So I you had basic training, which was four weeks, advanced basic training, another four weeks, plus the interim. So you've used up a year already or more, you know, and I only had two years. So (laughs) I didn't have enough time for them to even send me anywhere. Which is funny, too, where they're saying, all right, we got to do a draft because we need to send people to Korea. And you go, okay, you've drafted me. And then they say, we're not going to send you to Korea. (laughs) So where do they send you instead? I went to uh, New York City. To New York City, okay. Right. So then you were just hanging out on an Air Force, or uh, just what, which branch was it? It was uh, I was uh, assigned to a, 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 a anti-aircraft military unit. I mean, it wasn't missiles back then; it was anti-aircraft guns. Yeah. Great, and that's where you met my that, grandma. That's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now I have her version of the story, but I'd love to hear your version. Oh, you better keep with hers. But. <laughs> Now, uh, I, through through a, a friend of mine in the service, was, was dating another girl, and who also knew Mary. Mary, mm-hmm. and so that's how we, we got set up for a blind date. Right, and that's how we got to, to meet each other. Was it love at first sight? She was pretty nice. <laughs> <laughs> she was beautiful. Yeah, <laughs> she was. Elegant. She was graduate. She was smart. You know, it was pretty easy. Good catch. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. I didn't think I had a chance. <laughs> now, did you ever go back and thank your buddy who set you up? Oh, uh, yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, more so with the uh, with the Marion's best friend. She was in our wedding party. Oh, wonderful. Uh, right. Yeah. yeah. I lost track of the other fellow. He didn't respond to after he got out of service to things that I 
tried to find him. But yeah, I owed him a lot. A little bit harder to find people back then, I imagine, than yeah, today you when you have uh, you just search your name in Facebook and see who you, pops up. Right, you can't punch it in anymore. No, yeah, you're like, no. I have a scrap of paper that has an address, and I sent <laughs> right. a letter, and no one sent a letter that, back. That's so. it, right. <laughs> so I, when I came back, I went to school. I've been out four years, and I was really concerned because I knew I had to a lot of uh, heavy mathematics and things that were coming up in the courses. So I, I stayed in the Detroit area for the next year and uh, went, worked and then went to college at Wayne State University in Detroit. Mm -hmm. And then uh, when I got that, then I reapplied back to Michigan because I was basically in the engineering school and I wanted to get into the architecture school. So they, I had to get a trial acceptance in that the, next, the following year, which I did do. So... Yeah. Then, but uh, before I got we got married, which uh, I lived with my sister and her family just outside of Ann Arbor for a year while I while I uh, went to school. So then we got married. There you go. Yeah. And uh, that we, was 54? 55. 55. Okay. And, and settled and down, got a house? Uh, we lived in an apartment. And mm -hmm. uh, while I was going to college, I had t two more years to go. Yeah. That's my program was a five-year program. And uh, in that period of time, we got your father. Yep. <laughs> so you've got a, a family and an academic career in architecture. At, at the same time, right. Uh, busy. Yeah. yeah. No, yeah, it was true. I said I was the only um, graduate in my uh, program that uh, whose two-year-old son came to his graduation. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> and then... Uh, so I'm curious, what what really drew you to architecture? What where where did that well, resonate with you? I, I really in high school, which uh, I I like to draw, mm -hmm. and but I didn't do a lot of people say, oh, you drew as a kid all this. I never yeah. really did because I was a farm kid. I didn't yeah. really get involved. But I did like I took all the art courses I could, all the drafting courses mm -hmm. I could, which was not very great in the you know the small high school that I went to, and uh, but I did like it. But I. I got d directed by people who are not counselors to go to engineering because mm. that's what was going to be the big thing after World War II. Oh, of course. Be an engineer. And yeah. that's where I started off wrong because I started in engineering and I really was not suited for engineering. Yeah. You yeah. had to be patient and then let your kids do that. Right. So, yeah, <laughs> right. Let them, yeah, let those, yeah, they, so that, that's how, uh, why. But I really, but then, and after working in Detroit, those two years in Detroit, I really knew what I wanted to do. Right. And when I went back to school, I really knew what I wanted. Now, I'm curious to hear um, post-school how your career developed, because I think um, in modern times, it's, you know, my own journey through my 20s was so scattershot. I right. was doing random jobs. I was moving to different places. I went back to school late. I got a journalism degree and then promptly got a job in tech that didn't use my journalism degree right. at all. And so I think there's a lot more of these meandering paths. And I'm curious that how upon graduation um, you fell well, into well, your I, profession. I, after I came back from service, I was able to work at the firm in Detroit that gave me the first job during the summer. So every summer I was able to work with them. And of course that one year I said I went to school and worked was, so that gave me, but then when, uh, when I got through at uh, a graduation, why um, a thing called a recession was on naturally. Mm -hmm. And so work was not readily available, but I was working for a couple of professors in Ann Arbor doing houses, which was 
fine. And uh, one of the fellows that I graduated with called me and said, are you working? And Mm -hmm. I said, well, I'm a little bit. Why? He says, well, there's a job that I think is just great for you. You need to come up to Saginaw, Michigan, and talk talk to this man. And uh, he, I think you'll really like him, and he really needs a, a person that likes to do design work. I didn't think it was a very good idea. So <laughs> I, I didn't take him up right away. But I did. I said, I'll, I, 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 I talked to a lot of people in Detroit, some people that I knew well in, in big offices, and they told me, there's no work. Just go up there for two years. And so that's what we said. We'll go for two years. Don't buy anything. Don't get a house. Don't try yeah. to do anything like that. And that's that was happened. sixty years ago. That, that, <laughs> that was the that was the whole case. So I really never did a lot of moving in uh, out. Let's say out around the state or anything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so landed in Saginaw. This um, what was this contact? Because I know that you eventually had your own firm, and so I'm curious how uh, that came yes. about. Yes, the fellow that that uh, was running the firm. Uh, what I I had the dream. You know, he walked, when I walked in the door, he said, "You're in charge of the design." That's the whole life that I wanted to be. You know, <laughs> to, to be the designer. Yeah. And I thought, you know, this can't be true. He did let me do it. He just wow. said, "Okay." Let's go. And uh, uh, early on, I, I look back, I did things in the very first years that most people wouldn't get in any part of their career, in major projects. You know, yeah. that, that was one of the keys. So he, he liked me. Mm-hmm. He, he wanted a successor. Uh, he was oh, 14 years older than I was. And so he brought me along made me a partner in uh, 1963 and uh, you know and then in 19 I worked with him from, in 1976 I became president of the firm because he was going to retire and so that's how it moved along now I'm very curious what I don't know if I want to say the top but like what is your favorite design project what is your favorite building of all the buildings that you got to design that well you know there it really is hard to say, and I'm not trying to be uh, uh, dodge the question because the biggest thing about architecture, and I've heard other people say this differently, but once you solve the problem, you move on. Yeah. And so, if you solve the problem and it comes out satisfactorily, you don't really say, "Well, that's my favorite," because you're looking at the next next one each time around. But I did some major high schools in in the very very early years. I and I did things of that nature, but I think probably some of the favorite ones because even though they were a pain in the neck, was churches. Mm. And I was thinking back, I was amazed that churches let you do modern work. Yeah, which. Other th- modern work really wasn't everywhere, you know. But you think, why would churches do that? Because there's, there, let's have the old-fashioned New England church, or let's have the Gothic church, or mm-hmm. But that we didn't, I didn't run into that. And so it was fun to do churches, and you had, you could be very creative so long as you met the program. That's all. I'm curious about what uh, your thoughts are on designing a church because most buildings are almost entirely functional. 
if you're building a storefront, it needs to be accessible so people can come in and see the goods. Right. If you're building a school, it needs to have a layout so students right. can flow through the hallways and have classrooms. And then on top of that, there's we want it to look good because we want to be a nice building mm-hmm. in the community and not just be mm-hmm. some granite eyesore. But a church, especially you mentioned the Gothic cathedrals, these are buildings that are designed to create feelings of awe and reverence and spirituality and community and so i'm curious when you approach designing a church how did you think about those elements well you 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 were dealing with a different type of people in a sense that they weren't grandiose because they we, I worked in rural communities. Michigan Protestants. Times. They just yeah, want people to yeah, I wasn't working in, in sit Chicago. in the pew and remember to get back to work on right. Monday. I wasn't working in Chicago where <laughs> we got millions of dollars, let's build a cathedral. But the thing that they were really looking for well, was an experience that they had something that they could go to that would give them the fact of their own religion, that's all. Mm-hmm. So it... Uh, it, 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 churches were not complex in, let's say, uh, traffic patterns or movements within circulation or right. uh, things like that, like other, like a hospital where where you you, know, you got to deal with all kinds of levels. So so churches were basically fairly simple as far as movement of people, but how to give them the proper uh, feeling once they get inside. Right, and usually. Make it quiet, make it more serene, uh, you know, lighting, things of this nature that you did. Now, as a kid, I grew up in Indiana and my family would come up to visit uh, your house in Saginaw mm-hmm. for Christmas on an annual basis as well as other times. And your house was always a really interesting place to visit as a kid <laughs> because you designed it yourself. Right. And I would love for you to describe your house and also how you came up with the idea and, and what inspired it. Well, we 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 lived in an apartment for what seven years with three children, which drove us to the fact that we needed a house pretty badly. But uh, and I I worked for a doctor uh, that on a house a modern house, which another he was what seventy five years old at least when he built this house, which is. Uh, I thought incredible that he wanted a modern house. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so he owned this lot, which I did not know, and I bought the lot from him. So I had the lot, and I started out because there were restrictions, setbacks, and all this kind of thing. And I really started out not what I ended up with in the original thinking. So it took me a couple of years. But we're on a dead-end street. for The front of the house faces uh, a street, the dead end. So I didn't want the look of headlights shining in my my windows mm-hmm. and so the front of our house as you know has really no windows in fact so how did it make your living room feel more comfortable why well, i created the courtyard yeah. so just for the listeners who obviously have not visited your house can you describe well our house is really a um, a um a circle or a, but not a square not a, it's a square circle as we say it's a a box with a hole cut in the center. Really. Yeah. And the hole in the center is the courtyard. And on one side of the house is the private side, which has all the bedrooms. The other side is the public side, which has the library, the dining room, the living room. And the kitchen is, of course, the, the crossroads for between the two. 
yeah, there's a sort of there's a front, you know, entryway on one right. side and the other side of the courtyard, it's the kitchen. Right. And that means that as a, as a young kid, you can just run laps. You can run all around. <laughs> right. You can just yes. just run laps around the house. And if you had one of those things with the bell on it and you could drive everybody crazy. You know, oh, right oh, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure I never was annoying in any way. <laughs> uh, so that gave, that gave me a private front yard is what it really amounted to by the courtyard. Now, you just mentioned some of the restrictions that were in place that you had to think about when you were designing the solution. And you mentioned a moment ago how with architecture, it's always about what's the problem at hand. And I'm curious about uh, your creative process for when you were facing a problem, did you have any things that you would do to think in different ways? To Did you like take long walks when you got stuck? How did you get the ideas out I, of your head? I would, I would always try to read what, what they, what I call it, I would call it, let's say the program, mm-hmm. uh, what spaces they need, da, 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 da. And then I would try to th- think about how were when I talked about flow of people traveling or what you had to do this to get from space to space or what had to be done from space to space. So I had these and lots of times you 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 know you you did little simple diagrams of thinking about it. But what I always wanted to try to do was once I had that in my mind, what's the concept of the whole project to make what you saw there and what they're looking for into a into a hole. So you you sort of work on it constantly. I would when I would go home at night, I would still be thinking of mm. the problem. Problem. Yeah. I wanted to solve the problem. So so it didn't. It just didn't go away that you sat down and, and did some squares and said this is the living room, this is the dining room type of thing. So it it, it was a process for me. It was a real process. But what I call I went for, I went to what was the concept of the whole project. You had to, do you feel like you had to wait for the solution to emerge? Was it something that kind of came up once you puzzled it over enough? Sometimes it would take a while. Sometimes it would just, I got it. Yeah. I I got it. I understand that. The pieces fall into place. Right. Yep. Yep. I know what it is. I know how to do it. I know what it's going to look like right away. Uh, You know, I don't mean instantaneous, but it it doesn't take a number of, tries to come up with something to, to, as you differ, do it differently. Yeah. Right. yeah. Yeah. And so when did your architecture career wrap up? Uh, in 1995. Okay. So I've been retired a long time. Yeah. Yeah. And so you were patient, you, you worked a long time, and then what did you do with your retirement? When I got done, why I, you know, I was um, just 65, yeah. so I, I didn't want to stop. They wanted the guys that I brought in wanted to run the firm. Mm-hmm. I don't blame them. You know, yeah. I did too. When I went in, I wanted yeah. to run the damn firm. So, yeah. so they they took over, and I didn't really have a job. Yeah. And being, um, let's say, the horse that's out of the barn, you you're not good around the firm. Yeah. Just be there. But they gave me space, so I decided I could do uh, volunteer work. I can volunteer to help people who needed some guidance to get maybe started in a uh, architecture, or how to even contact an architect, 
And so that's how I got into doing what I call pro bono work, by getting the people started in projects or help them with projects to get going. So I did that. Plus, I joined other organizations to help because I had volunteer time to do community type of organizations. Well, that's really interesting because I think that's one of the things that feels so hard is when you're completely unfamiliar, you think, oh, my God, how do I even contact an architect? How do I find right. one? All of those things are so daunting. Right. And it's so nice when you can have someone that has that expertise that's able to guide you through the process. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. you know, I remember when I was buying my house, it all seemed so foreign and confusing. And someone that goes, you're going to need this paper, not this paper. Don't worry about this paper. We're going to get this. I've got a guy for that. Right. It's, it's, right. it's really nice. Right. You know, and, you know, some of them. Had they had no money, you know, but I wasn't charging any money, so it, they, that way they could at least get going without having to, any kind of an upfront expense to it. Because I could draw, I could draw. Still today, I could draw. You know, yeah. so it was a matter then how how to help them do get pro, doing projects, and some of them took a long time to get going because there were a, lot of, a lot of them were not yeah, a lot of them were not prop when most of them were nonprofits in a sense mm-hmm. and so how to help them uh, get get funding and do things like that yeah yeah and then i know that you've traveled a lot then we got to travel a lot and then you got to travel a lot and what has i guess what has led you in your travels have you been going to places with buildings that you were interested in in or what what but, really you know You've been all over, so I'm curious well, how you decided where to go. No, a lot, some, a lot of times it is hooked on buildings. Yeah. Uh, and but yeah, but I the countrysides and things like that that I was interested in to see. But yeah, buildings would I would look for buildings too. Sure, yeah. that was one of the things. Where, for instance, uh, we were talking about the fact uh, uh, I've got probably a, a whole collection of photographs of all the new buildings that Yale University built in the 1960s, for instance. <laughs> but, you know, so it, those were the kind of draws that I would then go enjoy the city as well and whatever was going on. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, no, it, buildings were a big draw for me, I'll be honest. Yeah, yeah. Do you have a favorite building? Uh, well, I think one of the things that really was surprised me in a way because it had so much publicity was Frank Lloyd Wright's Falling Water. Mm-hmm. It really is spectacular. We've been to that together. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's right. We did. That's yeah. right. It's spectacular. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's cool to see something that is... It's working with the landscape, like we talked about mm-hmm. earlier. Mm-hmm. You know, What is the space? And then is also just doing something different, which I think is really cool, mm-hmm. where it's mm-hmm. similar to your house, yeah. where right. the, the house is saying... How do I need to meet the needs of this environment, the people mm-hmm. that are going to live here? Mm-hmm. And what's an interesting way to do that rather than the way a little kid draws a house and you just put a door there and windows right. there and a pointy right. roof mm-hmm. and a chimney because that's what right. a house looks like. Right. Yeah. 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 No. So we're going to get into the the final part of this podcast now. And let's, let's return back to this theme of patience. I'm curious... Uh, what you feel like you've learned in your career that's really important that you want to pass on to uh, the listeners or future generations, something that you've seen in your long career and experience looking at problems and solving them that you could. Well, you know, uh, the, the thing that probably I feel strongly about in 
looking at what where I am or what I did was um, education. Mm-hmm. I really, really do. I said the, the the greatest gift I got in elementary school was learning to read. Yeah, that that opened up everything you can think of, and that's why I I really thought. Uh, people who are going to be getting better educated would be more cohesive in thinking of do, how to do better problems and not get into some of the messes that we have been getting into. You know, I, I just I just thought education would solve a lot of problems, but yeah. it, it hasn't totally yet. Well, we've also really let go of education a lot in this country. I know mm. that the curriculum from a high school and the 40s in in a in a city like New York is totally different sure. than, and yeah. not just because things have changed but yeah. also just like you know the what was expected of students has right. really right. changed dramatically right. and right. we've defunded schools and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um it's kind of kind of sad to see how we've cut our own legs out from underneath us mm-hmm. but you know we I've been lucky when I look at the length of time that I've lived yeah what has really unbelievably happened in the whole world as far as technology, for instance, yeah. it is incredible. I said, it's when a little I, bit fancier than the farm, huh? Yeah. And I said, <laughs> when, when I was in ser- service, we worked with transistors, looked like small Tootsie Rolls. Today, that would hold about 2 billion transistors in less than space, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's incredible. Thanks to the advancement, the, uh, that we've gone through really has. I, I just hope it use it. It can be used better than it's being used. Well, let's let's give our listeners a spell so we can help them use it a little bit better. Sure. And so, what's a small thing that people can do? You know, um, maybe tomorrow, maybe sometime this week. What's just one little thing they can do? You think to make the world a slightly better place? Just be nice to the next person you see. Yeah. Regardless of what's going on, you know, if if. Uh, if they need help, let's help them. But just be nice to them. You don't have to jam things through. You don't have to be the first in line, things of that nature. Just be patient. Just, just be nice. take it. <laughs> just take it patiently and be nice. What's uh, What's the Kurt Vonnegut line where he's like, "God damn it, you got to be kind." <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I think you know. I I just think that um, we could do so much more. So love each other in a sense that we're all the basically the same mechanisms why can't we all work and work together yeah awesome thank you grandpa yeah well you're welcome thank you well i hope you enjoyed that conversation with my grandfather and to reward you for your patience listening all the way to the end of this episode i've got a fun announcement that i'm just going to tuck back here for those of you who listened all the way through. I quit my day job this week. I'm now going to be a wizard full-time, which means that this one chapter of my life, the beginning of my wizardry, in which I was growing it out, while at the same time doing something else to make ends meet, is now giving way to a whole new period where I can really dedicate myself to growing wizardry, to helping this podcast and the magic that we're all working with continue to expand, blossom, and bloom. So that's all I wanted to say. I hope you've enjoyed both this episode and the one with my grandma, because it's really important to acknowledge not just where we're going, which in these days, 
who knows where we're going, but where we've been. It's been a pleasure sharing these experiences with you, and I look forward to our magic continuing to grow at its own pace. I believe in you. Everything's happening in time.